listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You are listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week 6th of November to the 10th of November. Uh, this week we talked about why or how I smashed a whole bunch of eggs in my car. Boy. We also chatted to Joel Creasy about his book Thirsty Confessions of a Fame Whore. It's what he is. And we also talked about um, superhero powers. We chatted with British feminist legend B. Campbell, head of a couple of events she's doing here. And we discussed the irrational anger that my birthday seems to have produced in my yep. fellow hosts. Quite a lot of anger. <laughs> Sorry about that. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. You are listening to Triple R. So on uh, Saturday night, I was telling you that I went to a wedding of my friends, Taryn and Pat, which was mm-hmm. lovely. And by the end of the night, we'd all uh, kind of moved onto a bar and we were sitting around and having the, those late conversations. night conversations that occur after you've been drinking since uh, early afternoon. And one of the conversations was about what superpower we would have and it got quite heated, you know, and those things that if you just genuinely had a conversation about having what superpowers are better than most, it probably wouldn't get heated, but it, mainly due to probably my condition yeah. more than anyone else's, let's be honest, uh, it got quite heated. And I was saying that I would choose flying because flying is always the superpower. Always good. So one thing... So I, flying in, in being invisible. Yeah, I don't, two, get, I, I don't get the invisible thing, to tell you Why? the truth. Because who cares if you're, what are you going to, what are you, what are you, what are you going to creep around on people? Like, what's this? Peeping Yeah, people. like a creepy peeping Tom. Like, what can being invisible ever <laughs> do for you? Peeping Tom there. Yeah. Yeah, but like you I'm like standing in bedrooms and be weird. Like, it's weird. Get into stuff for free. <laughs> oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, well. But what stuff? Concerts. <laughs> Um, go to the footy. It's not really like getting, sit getting on, into the spirit of superhero. Sit don't on know. the boundary. <laughs> sneaking into, cinema. sneaking into cinemas. You'd I just sit on the boundary creepy. line. At, oh, yeah. you know? Were there? Um, that's quite true. Actually, I didn't thought that far. Yeah. But if I flew, I could hover over the MCG. Yeah, everyone can see that, and you'll probably uh, get caught in the shot. wires. Oh yeah, those pigeon wires. Yeah. yeah. Were there well, many creative suggestions being well, put around? There was a friend of uh, mine who says that he can't dance. I don't know, and he he was. He just doesn't dance because he can't dance. It's not something he wants to do. And so I can't remember if I chose it for him or he chose it for himself, but or, or maybe I suggested the power to be the best dance, dancer in the world. Dancing which, man. Dancing man, right? The best dancer in the world. And this doesn't just mean, you know, dancing at a party. This means yeah. that you could go and be a ballroom dancer. You could be a you could be a street dancer, like spinning on your head and stuff. Uh, and then a friend of mine argued, said that that is not a superpower. Oh, it totally is a superpower. Be it like, is, isn't it? We like the, those those dance movies, you know, yes. like those yes. where where like someone comes and teaches the kids that they can settle their disputes not by guns and knives, but by dancing by, by off. Dancing. And then Dance Man would come in and do his moves. Do you exactly. want the ori- Do you want the origin story of Dance Man? I would love the origin story of Dance Man. Right, yes, so please. Dance Man was... Also, text me if you think this is a suit dance, for being the best dancer or is a superpower, because well, I'd like to win the argument. We'll convince it doesn't them... doesn't win the <laughs> argument, just so that people agree with you. <laughs> we'll just convince them. Oh, 0466981027 is our text line. Uh, okay, so Dance Man was originally a delivery man. Oh. Um, delivered... Um, uh, he restocked the uh, fridge... The um, drinks machine. Oh yes, at the dance studio, and um, so one day he was in there restocking the 
the um, Drix machine uh, when, unfortunately, he had a bit of a fall <gasps> and he knocked his head. Now, during that time, a cicada crawled into his ear mm. and mm. that now provides the, the constant rhythm. And he also felt the rhythm oh, and he absorbed... You've really gone all out with his... <laughs> and he's absorbed the, um, the, the, all the previous dances that have been done on those floorboards. He's f- absorbed them into his body. So when he wakes up, he's a uh, dance man. And <coughs> then um, <laughs> later he goes on to become a choreographer for Beyonce and um, they use dance to spend love throughout the world. The end. Oh, uh, my God. I'd pay to see that movie. See? Oh, my God. That's that's the best origin story I've ever heard. It's up there, isn't it? <laughs> Got a cicada in your I feel like there's definitely tap, tap, away. a Marvel series in Dance Man. <laughs> dance Man. Just dances. He does dance need an enemy, though. Oh, who, what, who is the enemy of dance? The person that doesn't want to dance. What's the opposite of dancing? Like those guys from Footloose. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Kevin Bacon's girlfriend's dad. <laughs> <laughs> that is his enemy. Kevin Bacon's girlfriend's dad also, is Dance Man's enemy. The, the other thing about Dance Man is because if he's a superhero, he'd have to have a cape. And no, you don't have to have a cape. I feel like if you're busting... You don't have to have a cape. No. I feel like if you were busting dance moves and you had a cape, it would improve things immeasurably. Uh, it would make you look cooler, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, or, a cape. Or, or ridiculous. Think of the twirls you could do with yeah, a cape. Dance Man could do with a cape. That would be totally okay. fine. Yeah, all right. Allow the cape. It might be hard if you're doing like hip hop dancing though, and spinning on your head. A cape might get in the way. Yeah, but flamenco dancing. Hello, (laughs) (laughs) very fitting. What would your superpower be? Oh, good question. Um, I feel like that. It's like when I was a child, mm. I would have had. It's the kind of um, question that you had about five answers to, and you'd already worked them out. You know what I mean? Yeah, all the details. It's like you know, if people asked you, wish you had all these answers already worked out, because you sort of thought that something that might happen at any moment, and you had to be you had to be prepared for it. Yeah, I'd like um, (laughs) the power to be on time all the time. Oh, that's a real waste of a superpower. Do you reckon? It's a real waste. Yeah, but you could fly, not or you could just be on time to things. <laughs> yeah, but how am I getting to be on time to things? Ah, oh. what do you mean? Like if I'm if I'm a long way away. Oh, what does it involve? Yeah, if I want to be on time, I've got to get there by some. That could be flying. It could be running really fast. It could be jumping. I don't know. Like it's. That in- so does that mean so you can okay? Do you get to decide that what what you're doing to get there fast? No, nah, probably not. I reckon it's just, or maybe I just go through like a vortex. The universe or just. Oh, I like the yeah. idea that you go through a vortex. Yeah, it could be know. anything. I could see the movie of um, Dancemen, oh. but I'm not sure. Ms. Punctuality. <laughs> <laughs> Made by Sandra Bullock. <laughs> oh my God! Will she get there on time? Could you? Okay. Could you though go? Oh, I suddenly want to be in Africa. Say to to go on this safari, and can you use it? And then go. Oh, the safari starts in five minutes, and then go. I have to be there in time, and then you get to yeah. vortex there. So you kind of get to twist it. Uh, or, yeah, to absolutely. vortexing on the other side of the world. It's not just things that you're booked in for yourself in normal boring life. Well, maybe I'll um, book it in myself. Yeah, no, I could put that in. And also imagine like like getting your um, passport on time and stuff like that. Just get, oh, no, yeah, you yeah. can't. You can't. I feel like it's got to apply to you as a human. 
It's not like, you know, people say, oh, there's 21 day wait on that. And you say, but I'm Miss Punctuality. Bam. Here it comes. Okay. So I'd like to say that someone has said Dance Man can be a hero. Thank you very much. This person, they want the superpower to sleep even after a massive rave night. Very, very cool. (laughs) Uh, Another person who has a superpower would like the superpower to reach into their pocket and have the exact change for whatever I wanted to buy. That would be awesome. Oh, that's pretty great. Yeah. Or you could just tap your card on stuff. Also, someone said that they'd want to be Alex Mack. And yes, I absolutely. Absolutely remember. Oh, I remember Mack. that show. Yeah. She used to become goo and slide yeah. and slide under doors and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Was there any other point to being the goo? <laughs> just yeah, same as being invisible, mate. Just gooed places. Just get out of the way. You'd spy and stuff, find out information, oh. get into concerts for free. But people could I think I'd rather be invisible and be goo. Same. And what would be people could clean up the goo? Like just no, m- she can move around as goo. <laughs> I'm sure if someone had a mop and bucket, they'd be chasing it around the floor. I never saw that, but I feel like being goo is kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. I think it's just Miss Punctuality isn't scraping the bottom (laughs) of the Superman (laughs) barrel. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff, Geraldine and someone else. We, <laughs> we do a lot of book discussions on here. I think this next one has a particularly awesome title. It's called Thirsty Confessions of a Fame Whore. And it's written by our next guest, comedian Joel Creasy. Welcome to Breakfasters. Thank you. And I, thank you. I'm glad you like the title. I thought I'd just really spoon feed it to people to make it <laughs> really obvious what the book's about. <laughs> well, before we can go any further, can we just begin with one of the most startling revelations in this book, yes. your dad is the guy in the Solo Man commercial. Oh, yeah, he is. He was in the 1980, I think it was the 1986 ad or something. And, uh, oh, no, 1976. And um, he is the uh, one of the, he's like, you know, it was like the old school Nutri-Grain man. And um, he runs up the hill with the dog and then cracks a solo at the top of the hill in the ad and it dribbles down his chin. It's very homoerotic. <laughs> so it's not surprising I'm his son. And, um, yeah, because that's what you feel like after a big jog up a mountain, a sugary <laughs> soft drink. Yeah. But, yeah, that was that was. That'd be hot as well. Hot, yeah. And he had this he had this blue heeler dog, like actual dog, not like Lisa McCune with him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they run up the hill. That's that, that was my dad. So yeah, you, you seem to have had a remarkably happy childhood that you go through in this book. And you also seem to have known from very early on what it is you wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because my parents are both performers. So my mum was a um, a singer and an actress and sang on the West End and on cruise ships. So a little bit, a little bit tacky. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, so like like you know. Would Geraldine, you'll know, you know how like most um, most parents of comics are like, oh, should you have a backup? Should you? Yeah. Do you, do you really think comedy is a great idea? My parents are like, do it, do it <laughs> now. When 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 can you, when can you sell out theatres? So um, yeah, they always encouraged me. They're almost a little bit too involved in my career. Because how old were you when you started doing comedy? Sixteen. I was sixteen. Still so, in high school. I was still in high school. Yeah. And were you funny? Mm, I don't know. I think I got by a lot on the fact that I was sixteen. Yes. Um, but I learned a lot, and I started in Perth as well. So, you know, but off, where off were Broadway. You, where, were you, <laughs> where were you doing these gigs at 16, though? Well, in pubs. So my parents had to take me. Wow. And it's a sad day when your mum's the heckler. Oh. <laughs> and do you know, once my mum got kicked out, she drank too much. And I was like, I was on stage and I hadn't really done much crowd interaction before. And I was like, bring the lights up. Let's see who's being kicked out. This will be funny. And no. then I saw it was my mum. I was like, turn the lights down, turn the lights down. <laughs> Everyone ignore the crazy lady up the back of the room. Uh, like Geraldine, you started with Raw 
comedy. Yeah. Tell us what that was like. Well, I didn't win, so I hated oh. it. Um, no, I, I entered twice and um, and made the state finals twice and didn't uh, didn't make it through past that. But my third ever, because in Perth, the Royal Comedy's huge, my third ever gig, they do the state final at His Majesty's Theatre, so my third time on stage doing stand-up was in front of like 1,600 people. Yeah, it's weird. Like, it in Perth, the, the state finals is bigger than the national finals. Yeah. I don't know why Perth gets so into it. Yeah. But a lot of comics have come, come from Perth and through raw comedy like Claire Hooper, myself. I can only name two right now. But, <laughs> Xavier you know, Michaelides. Xavier Michaelides. Um, so, you know, a lot of people, you know, come through. You, you've got to find something to do in Perth. So people are like, oh, I guess I'll just do stand-up. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of funny stories and a lot of really nice stories in this book. You Thanks. write about um, growing up idolising Joan Rivers and yes. then getting to open for her. That yeah. must have been a kind of amazing moment. It was, a, it was an amazing moment. I'd just been dumped by an ex as well and then a few days later I got a call from Joan Rivers being like, do you want to open for me? And I was like, wow, what a payback. And, <laughs> was it um, actually Joan Rivers that called you? No, it wasn't. Well, oh. it wasn't Joan, but I got an email on behalf of Joan. Wow. And, um, and then a phone call and I just didn't believe it. I couldn't, I couldn't quite yeah, believe it. Yeah, but did it. you have any idea that she even knew who no, you were? No, not at all, not at all. It was one of those, like, crazy, um, I got recognised in a shopping mall uh, moments where she was in the, um, her management in the, in New York were looking up, were producing my little solo show that I was doing there in a few weeks' time and they were clipping up a, a, my show reel and she was just by chance in the office and walked <gasps> past when a YouTube oh, clip no. of me was on the screen. Oh, no. One of those moments. Wow. And she goes, play that clip, play that clip. And she watched the whole clip and then said, Said, why isn't he opening for me? And, and what's she like? Beautiful, so beautiful. And, and you know, you see these artists with all these huge, you know, backstage demands. Uh, Joan Rivers' um, rider every night was just um, a prawn cocktail and a glass of house red. Oh, my oh. God. That is the most Joan Rivers. Isn't that so fabulous? And the first night I met her, she came over to me and she was so stunning. You know, people, you know, went on about her plastic surgery, but she had the best plastic surgery. So she looked stunning. And she came over to me and she goes, you're really gay. I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. And... Um, she goes, have you seen any Broadway shows yet? I'm like, oh, I've been here for one day. I've seen four. And, yeah, we really hit it off. And she was amazing. Uh, speaking of amazing women, can we talk about your business partner, Janelle Kearney? Yes, we can. Because I, I love, love her And as she well. helped me write the book. Yeah. She, well, I started watching her. I, I watched her one night when my mum let me stay up late. Uh, I was sick and it was, I was 14 watching the Comedy Channel and she was on there and I became obsessed with her. And then a few years later I met her and we've written kind of my last six stand-up shows together. Because Janelle and I started a comedy around oh, yeah, a similar time. And uh, that episode that she did on Stand Up Australia, mine was filmed the same day. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I remember at 14-year-old Joel was sick on the couch with his mum late at night in Perth watching. Because she's dirty and she's, yeah. She's dirty and I couldn't believe my mum was letting me watch it and now I still, like, yeah, I, I write all my stand-up shows with her. We've, I've written the book with her. Yeah. She's um, she's amazing. Yeah, um, we had Nazim Hussain on the show and one of his great revelations was that being in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here was actually hell on earth, whereas yes. I thought it was all for the cameras and you were in someone's backyard in, no, in Africa somewhere. No, you didn't somewhere. the Blue Mountains. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so can you tell me about that experience? It's re- No, it's, re- it's really properly hard. I lost 13 kilos wow. on my wow. season. So yeah, I looked I looked ridiculous. Um, it's really hard. You're really hard. the crazy thing is people are like, oh, how is eating the eyeballs and stuff? And you're like, that was the fun bit. That gave me something to do. The tough part is the boredom because you're stuck there just staring at the same trees all day long, and Marsha Brady won't shut up, and it's just a nightmare. <laughs> like, that's, I had Marsha Brady on my season. It's really tough. It's way tougher than people think. 
Wow. Did you discover something about one of the other celebrities that you had no idea about? Um, yes, I discovered um, uh, which data is which. I had one of the datos <laughs> on my season. And I, worked out, I finally worked out which one has done everything. Um, I discovered Murph Hughes' um, uh, snores are very loud. Um, and I discovered... Um, Oh God! What else? I discovered something about everyone. I just I discovered about week three that Marsha Brady didn't realise she was in Africa. No, she, she couldn't. What do you mean? She didn't kind of know. She's a bit crazy, like in a lovely way, but she didn't sort of realise she was in Africa till about week three of the show. Did she think she was in Australia? Yeah, because oh she heard she'd been cast on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, Australia, and I think she thought she was in Outback, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's. I'm not kidding. Awesome. I'm not kidding. Oh my God. And she, we had to be like, no, no, you know you're in Africa. And she was like, what? But this is Australia. Like, no, this is Africa. They're different continents. It was all very strange. Wow. I love that so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, lovely lady, but, you know. And so were they deliberately kind of riling you up? I mean, you write about not being allowed to have coffee and how everyone's kind of on it. It's the sort of idea to oh keep Oh, my you- God, the idea is to, yeah. And then the crazy part was in our season, now they sort of give them a few more things to make it a bit more entertaining. But season one, we were really the guinea pigs. And Christy Swan and I were like, okay, let's go and offer $5,000. We so desperately want a coffee for one jar of, like, Macone or whatever. And um, and we were like, we'll donate $5,000 to a Save the Rhinos charity and um, it'll be great TV for you guys because it'll show how desperate we are. You know, it'll be a great storyline, blah, blah, blah. And the producers were like, nah, nah, nah. They, wouldn't, they were like, we do not negotiate with terrorists. They just oh, would not wow. go for it. We're like, we're offering 5000 bucks for a jar of coffee. Like a tiny, and they're like, nah, you can't have it. Oh, oh, wow. I know. Well, you can take it out of our paycheck right now. <laughs> um, and, and the rhinos, yeah, that's what we can say. Like, oh, we I clearly hate the rhinos, rhinos, Channel 10. <laughs> you also got to host Eurovision uh, with the lovely Miff Warhurst, oh, I adore. I love Miff. But that experience was really full on. I, reading your kind of, oh, yeah. your recollections of it in the book, it just seemed like a bit of a disaster well, technically, but you did we, so well oh, despite thanks. all of these problems. Yeah, the first night, like, our, our, our technical, our, our commentary booth wasn't plugged in correctly. I think that's the most basic way to describe it. And and Ukraine people were yelling at us, like the technical team yelling at us in Ukrainian, being like, you're not on air, you're not on air. And we're like, well, we don't know what to do. And we're trying to, we're like, Miff and I aren't, you know, tech experts. So the, the booth wasn't going to air. And for, the only way for us to find out if we were on air in Australia was to tweet, hey, Australia, are we on air? But the last thing you want to do when you're not on air is check Twitter at 5am with the crazy Eurovision fans telling you how crap you are. It was just such an, it was just a nightmare. There's people yelling at us and I'm in tears and there's bloody Isaiah from Australia singing his song and someone's trying to plug in a cord under my foot. It was very, in Kiev, Ukraine, it was very stressful. But you're coming back to do it again? Yes, in Portugal, which will be a bit more fun. And do you oh, feel a bit Portugal's more the best. Yeah, oh my God, I'm not yeah. Oh, it's really great. Well, P- Portuguese tarts, Yeah, no, Nando's. <laughs> Chicken, all yeah. of it. Well, so I feel a bit more accepted now. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Well, it was, but also doing, come doing Eurovision in Ukraine was like a baptism of fire. It was like doing a drag show at your homophobic aunt's house. Like <laughs> the locals were like, "Yeah, we're fine with you being here, but once your song competition's done, please leave." <laughs> well, speaking of that, one of the, the the anecdotes that really jumps out of this book is about you being chased out of a small country town by thirty angry homophobes. Yes. Yes, I was Colac. I know. <laughs> Colac, country Victoria. Shout out to Colac. Shout out listening. to Colac. Well, I was chased out of there by 30 homophobes. And they were like, they, was, they were like, they were teenagers, but they were like 17, 18. And people go, oh, they're only kids. I'm like, no, no, you know, a 17 year old is a fully grown man. Mm-hmm. And 30 of them, pretty scary. We were chased out of the town. This is in like 2011 or something. And then it, the town, because I sort of went to the media with it, the town got a reputation as being the most homophobic town in Australia. So the ABC then said, do you want to go back and do a documentary and to, to discover if, you know, 
Cole, it really is the most homophobic town in Australia. So Reese Nicholson and I went back in about 2014 and filmed this documentary. And spoiler alert, it is the most homophobic town in Australia. <laughs> do you wonder if it's if it would have changed much over the last three or four years since you did it? I do, but I'm going to send you back to find out because okay. I'm not going back. <laughs> well, you can go check this time. I'll make a TV show. <laughs> yeah. uh, All right, we can't let you go without um, mentioning at least once the Star Wars connection. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Both your parents were extras in Star Wars yeah. and then you got to meet Carrie Fisher. Yes, they were both in Empire Strikes Back. Um, Dad is clearly visible in the scene when Princess Leia is, is briefing the troops, so I'm sort of zips by in the background. So they're both members of the Rebel Alliance, which was so cool growing up. And then I met, Car- yeah, I got to uh, meet Carrie Fisher last, last year. Yeah, last year yeah. interview her and you might see a bit of a common theme here uh, with these women that I that work with. I know, I know. Ida Buttrose, better watch out. I worked with her the other day. But yeah, I got to meet Carrie Fisher and she was so amazing and so dry and funny and gorgeous. But uh, So I have one more question yeah. before you go. Um, you've done quite a bit already. Mm. What, what is it that you haven't done yet that you want to do? What's on you? I need to... Um, I need to kill Josh Thomas I think that is um, that is no I'm, I'm, I'd like to no I want to do a talk show and I'd like to I'd like to tour more because I love doing live stand up mm. mm. the book is Thirsty Confessions of a Fame, <laughs> or, fame Whore Not that's me get to say that yes. bre- Breakfast Radio down by <laughs> Simon and Tuesday it's written by Joel Creasy thanks so much for coming thanks guys three triple You're tuned to Triple R. This show is Breakfasters with Jeff, Geraldine and Sarah. Tomorrow evening, the Victorian Women's Trust and the Search Foundation are hosting an event at the Athenaeum in Collins Street. It's entitled We Revolt at Dawn, featuring Santilla Chingapi and Karen Pickering, alongside our next guest, the feminist academic writer and activist Beatrix Campbell. Welcome to Triple R. Hello. This event is subtitled The Death of Patriarchy and the Prospects for Gender Equality. It's taking place in the context where almost every day the Me Too movement reveals fresh details about sexual harassment or assault from a powerful man. Were you surprised by anything in these Weinstein allegations or by the reaction that they've engendered? Uh, Not surprised, but I think probably we're all endlessly shocked. We, We know this stuff goes on. We know it, we know it, we know it, and yet we don't know it. And for it to be called out in this way is, I think, astonishing. And so it's lifted the lid on something that, as I say, we know about and don't know about. But the level, the, the, this raises a really interesting issue, I think, which is you can know it in a kind of subterranean way and it circulates amongst women's kind of common sense, but it, for it to acquire the status of official knowledge and become something that something has to be done about, it becomes remarkable. And the consequences, I think, are... They're very challenging and they're very interesting. And all power to the young women who've who've made this happen. You talk about, um, you know, something needs to be done about it. What do you think the next step will be? Do you know, I remember when sexual harassment uh, legislation was introduced in the 1980s, can you believe? Mm. And workplaces began to introduce protocols to describe... What it was, not there were huge debates at the time. Oh, you know, you're just being horrible about men again. And we were saying, no, 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 this is really helpful because it describes the manners 
of working life in a way that make it very clear to men what you don't do and what will make women feel like rubbish and little bits and pieces as well as big bits and pieces of behaviour that are always about power and control. So here we are 30 years on and I'm astonished to find some men who say, hmm, it's confusing times for men. We <laughs> don't know what to do. And I think, what? You don't? We do. We all know what is abusive and what isn't, what is cheeky and what isn't, and what's oppressive and what isn't. We all know. Mm. We all know it in our personal relationships. We know it in our work environment. So what's to not know, what's to not like? about this. The, the great thing about this, I think, is that it will prompt institutions at the behest of women to be completely clear about the, the manners of everyday interactions that are always about sex and power. And it'll just, I think it will really helpfully straighten it out. And I think a lot of men will feel, yeah, we know, we get it. Mm. Do you remember the moment you first um, encountered women's in liberation and, and what did it mean to you at the Oh, time? wow, yeah, I do. Uh, I was a journalist, let's say, a very, very long time ago. So we're talking uh, 1970, 1969, 1970. And I wrote a piece saying, oh, you know, women's liberation is just a lot of posh women, rich women fed up with having to do housework and blah, blah, blah. blah. And my mother read it and she said, you're wrong. And my then husband, I was then a married woman, said, no, you're wrong. Wow. I instantly changed my mind, went to a women's liberation group meeting in somebody's house and for the first time found myself in a space populated entirely by women who wanted to be there with each other. And I fell in love with all of them, with the women's liberation movement, with women... With the politics of it, it was dangerous and thrilling, and I remember it to this day. Wow. What, do you, think, what do you think the biggest challenge since then has been for women's liberation, or is at the moment? Ah, well, I think, I think two things. One, feminist politics is always personally very challenging because, you know, when you live uncomfortably in your own skin, and most women do, when you have to encounter, when you have to confront power at every turn, which may be articulated as a kind of great monumental thing, and it may just be the flick of an eye. It's challenging and it's hard work, as well as uh, exciting. And then you've got another thing, which we had to face in the women's liberation movement, and it was this. No sooner had we kind of danced onto the political stage than bang! Margaret Thatcher is elected and the conditions for the realisation of feminism are uh, assailed thereafter. Little did we know how absolutely monumental her triumph would be. Little did we know that neoliberalism would stalk the world, which it now does. And, you know, a good measure of the impact is this, that since 1980, year on year... Since then, every single year, relentlessly, inequalities across the board have increased in the world. And gender, in, gender inequalities continue to grow. Can you believe it? So, equal pay is stalled. 
parental leave, uh, workplace organisation, workplace resources for men and women are really in big trouble. And in China and Asia, where half the world's population live, inequalities accelerate at a rate of... Well, as a Chinese economist puts it, China is the mother of all redistributions. So gender equality is... Uh, it's a kind of radioactive theme in our mm. politics. Mm. And the paradox is that the world's institutions have signed up to gender equality, but at no level, when you actually do the sums, when you actually do the sums, is it being realised? Mm. You're also speaking at an event this Saturday about the hundred years, uh, the hundredth anniversary of the Russian Revolution. Yeah. It's we're talking to you almost exactly on the 100th anniversary yeah, of the Russian yeah. Revolution. Now, you grew up in a communist family. You were a teenage member of the Communist yeah. Party in Britain. What does the revolution mean to you now? Just <laughs> in 30 words or something. <laughs> it, means, it means a kind of... It means heartbreak, really. For me, as a kid, Russia meant Sputnik. We had a song... Catch a falling Sputnik, send it, put it in your pocket, send it to the USA. It was sweet things like that, you know. It was the Red Army Choir. It was the Protopopovs who were this marvellous ice dancing pair. And for my family, because I was a kid, in some general sense, the, um, the miracle of a society where... Ordinary people like us were the people and we ruled, only to discover that the people didn't and that the revolution was simultaneously miraculous and terrible. And it went on being terrible in ways that ultimately meant that the Bolshevik revolution, heroic though it was in many respects, was unsustainable. So uh, looking back on it now... I feel that the that the equality agenda that was certainly part of the Bolshevik project and it animated and emancipated in some respects millions and millions of women also had within it the seeds of its own destruction and that was the way in which it valorised men, proletarian man, red army man, paranoid man and it ignored really, the, the, the way in which you build a society in which everyday life, just everyday life gets better. And instead of that, everyday life was hard, too hard. And too many people's experience of the Bolshevik project was that it promoted equality, but equality for women was exhausting. Mm -hmm. It was just exhausting. It's quite an exciting time in British politics, so it seems to be more so than it is in Australia anyway, with yeah. Jeremy Corbyn kind of transforming yes. uh, the Labor Party. Do you think that Corbynism is going to survive? It is. And thrive? It is. Yes, and what do you think is going to come from that? Well, I think what's going to come from it is what we're already beginning to witness. The first thing is that the Westminster Commentariat and Fleet Street, as we used to call it, but our national media, has been completely taken by surprise. And it has been forced to take a step back and say to itself, do you know what? We don't know, we don't know what Britain is. We thought we were uh, the narrators, the balladeers of British culture, and we're not. We missed it. We didn't get it. So they have had to do something very uncomfortable which is stop, think, 
look right, look left, learn, <laughs> and listen for a change. And what what they've discovered once they started listening is that this bloke who they thought was unelectable turns up at a meeting in, let's say, Derby or Southampton or Birmingham or Hull, and you can't get in the door. It's absolutely mobbed, crowded. And all of the things that the Westminster commentariat thought were, oh, this is a bloke who can't be elected, like that he wears a jumper knitted by his mother, <laughs> like he does a stint in his community garden. What the commentariat didn't realise is that half of Britain is in a community garden. And if you're not in a community garden, you really want one. People are on waiting <laughs> lists for them. And a man can, who can make jam? What's to not like? I love it. <laughs> exactly. That's very true. And who has an absolutely shameless, confident, honest, radical political agenda that faces the thing that everybody knows and until now no Labour, no Labour leader has dared say, which is neoliberalism is a disaster. It's dangerous for the world. Enough already. Now, what they're having to do is turn a parliamentary Labour Party inside out because they are, you know, these are the children of Blair. Mm. And they didn't like it, but they too have been chastened and they are learning to shut up a bit because something is happening in their party that they didn't recognise. And it's not dangerous, it's nice. There's a bunch of events coming up. Um, you're speaking at a conference now, what, 100 years after the Russian Revolution. Mm. That's on this Saturday. And uh, tomorrow evening... Listeners can catch you in Collins Street in the Athenaeum at an event entitled We Revolt at Dawn with Santilla Shingarbi and Karen Pickering. We've been talking to Beatrix Campbell. Thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. Thank you. Three triple R. Now, at the start of the morning, Sarah, you told us that you had a bit of an incident that involved eggs and your car. Yes. Uh, we don't know what it is. Um, no. But we decided. Because <laughs> you put up I, your hand and you said, Say no more. Say no more. <laughs> Let's save it for a talk break. Mm. It's not a very long story. It doesn't matter. We'll make one up. Uh, so I asked Jeff to come up with two theories as to why. Um, well, here's the thing. At first we thought that eggs had been smashed on the bonnet yeah, of your so car. Yeah, so it was a bit... Unclear as to where the eggs were and what had happened to them. But I, here's the thing: <laughs> I think it does not matter. Oh, okay, there's right. eggs and there's there's a car involved. Who Is cares that... where the eggs smashed? We know that eggs have been smashed. Do you want to hear my story? Yes. My story, my story, not a story. It's a theory. theory. Yes. My theory is that she was deciding to bake a cake. Mm-hmm. Possibly for some sort of celebration, but well, like your well, birthday. Your birthday. <laughs> Did not mean to. Yes, but perhaps that's what you were going to do, and okay. you. From the man that didn't tell us it was his birthday <laughs> and asked for no cake, okay. so... Now all, all right, you're talking so the, about is cake. This is about... Yeah, I know. <laughs> the theory's a little bit, a little bit stretched. <laughs> but so she went off to the egg shop and got a good supply the of eggs egg, for egg the shop, cake. Yeah. Yes. But she put them on the bonnet of the car while she was talking to someone mm-hmm. and forgot they were there. Who was she talking to? Just a passerby. The okay. egg man who works at the egg shop. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I am the egg man, he said. <laughs> and... Um, off she drove, mm-hmm. smashed them all over her windscreen. Yeah. Left the eggs on the, the uh, old... The old leave the <laughs> eggs on the bottom of the car. <laughs> Is that what happened? No. No. Is that, Close, did, though. Did you have another another theory? 
Oh, my other theory involved a nest. Oh. oh, so you're not talking eggs from the from the shop, not store bought eggs. No, bird wi- eggs. Wild, wild eggs, pigeon yeah. eggs. Mm. Yeah, that she was driving recklessly around Coburg and um, <laughs> smashed she- into a tree, <laughs> as I want to do. <laughs> That's right. And she smashed through some bushes where some poor bird was trying to hatch its brood. Probably some sort of endangered bird. Mm. And they were all smashed to pieces. Is that, that, is that, that true? No, that is not true. And I would not discuss that. <laughs> On the radio, if it was, so, keep it to yourself. No, no, that is not true. I got half Geraldine. I got halfway through writing the story, um, which I will now read to okay, you. Okay, <clears throat> thank you. Once upon a time, there was a young hip broadcaster and music writer called Sarah. Young and hip. Yeah. <laughs> Every morning after she'd been on air on everybody's favourite breakfast show, <laughs> Breakfasters. <laughs> Sarah liked to visit her friend Stephanie. Stephanie was a chicken like no other. She had golden feathers. Not real gold, just a dark yellow colour. Oh, and a chicken friend. Stephanie lived in the car park at the supermarket (coughs) and would peck at the youth there that was smoking ciggies out the back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sarah liked to, to buy seeds from the supermarket and feed them to Stephanie, even though she knew it was not a good idea to feed native birds. But was Stephanie a native bird? Who knows? <laughs> Sarah, Sarah didn't know. She just knew that Stephanie was her best friend and was the only one that would listen intently to, Sarah, to Sarah's thoughts on, on poetry and Russian politics. I don't know how young and hip I am. My only friend is a chicken. <laughs> you no, talk to the Russian It's just your so best Stephanie. friend. It's just what your best friend. About what about Perestroika? <laughs> yeah, just your best friend, mate. She listens. She just sits there and listens to you. And then um, until one day, uh, the particular type of seed that Sarah liked to buy for Stephanie was no longer available. Mm. And so she had to buy pumpkin seeds instead. Oh. Stephanie was not happy with pumpkin seeds, so laid eggs on the bottom of Sarah's car and smashed them with her feet. Brilliant. Oh, my God. Oh. How, did you, how did you even come up with that? Well, at what point? Have you been doing that the whole show? Yeah. That is amazing. Using my imagination. I kind of, <laughs> kind of want a friend called... A chicken called Stephanie now. With dark yellow feathers that are gold. No. Yep. Do you want me to tell you how I smashed eggs in my car? I think we've settled that. All yet. right, great. Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. Wait, uh, who won? Oh. Uh, who was the closest? Clearly Jeff. No, G- Geraldine won. Thank you. But neither of you are right because I smashed the eggs in my car. Oh, well, that's, in your car. In my that's car. where we went wrong. It is where you went wrong. So I, my sister bought me, uh, I went shopping yesterday afternoon with my sister and mm. she bought two lots of eggs and said, here, take some eggs home. And then she doesn't trust the way that I drive. So she said, you know, make sure you put them in the front seat. Don't crack the eggs. And I said, that's fine. Had some other fruit and things with it. It'll all sit on the seat. And I was very tired and I was listening to Triple R and I got distracted by what was on the radio. Mm-hmm. And I accidentally started to go through a red light in <gasps> a very busy intersection. And I hadn't noticed that the red, the light had gone red. And then I had to slam on my brakes really, really suddenly. Yes. And then... 12 eggs flew out of the box and oh, smashed no. over the front of my car inside. And I didn't know how to handle the situation. I was really upset. I was actually beyond angry, but I was so angry it came around to funny and then it just came around to distress. And I then I had to reverse out of the intersection, which everyone had seen me do. And it was a huge intersection. So there was like 12 cars pointing at me from different directions and everyone saw... All the eggs. What I did and... and well, did, no, people wouldn't have seen the, the eggs. eggs. I think the guy behind me saw the eggs and then I was sitting there and I was, what do I do? Like, I had a long way to drive. It was kind of getting hot. I didn't want the eggs to cook 
And uh, there is nothing worse than egg. Yeah, how car. do you clean that up? Well, that's what I think. I actually rang Andrew and I said, because oh, I was going to meet him and I'm like, oh, I've smashed eggs. And he goes, at least he didn't have an accident, which is, you know, and I thought well, that's a really yeah, good point. Yeah, that's a silver lining. That is a silver lining. <laughs> but has anyone ever tried to clean up Have you tried to a... clean egg off yeah. a, the carpet of a car before? Oh, I don't before? think I ever have, to be honest. I pulled in at a service station and there was nothing there. I'd gone and asked the guy for paper and he gave me paper. And then it was like peak hour at the service station and people sat and watched me trying to get egg, like goop it out and it was running down my arms and then oh. the guy behind me started beeping and because he needed to get to where I was and then I had to move the car with egg running down my arms and then this guy that was drunk came up to me, he had two Slurpees and he goes do you need a hand? And I was like, no I, I love the last <laughs> oh, thing drunkie. I need right now is a hand I'm like, yeah, thank you <laughs> Come and, and help me clean these eggs, drunkie <laughs> But then again, and then he goes to me, well, I just and I said, no, I'm right, he goes, well, I was just letting you know that some bicarb soda might help you get that smell out later well, on. I said, well, thank you very much That's a good tip, sir oh. And then he said, also, just get the mad out car and wash it under a tap I was like, yeah, actually, that is a very good. Thank well, you. Maybe you did need some help so from old two slurpy man. Two slurpy drunk man. <laughs> the end. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio Three Triple R in Melbourne, Australia. You are listening to Breakfasters with Sarah, Jeff and Geraldine. Uh, yesterday was Jeff's birthday. Happy birthday, Jeff. Thank um, you. Happy Jeff. Thank you for the nice cake, you guys. Yes. That's all right. I didn't. That put didn't, out, have a hand making it, but I... But it was very kind of you and very delicious too. I oh, thank you. I'm still going to eat some more of it because I can still see there's some over there. I, I bet you are. I think you've eaten enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I made a, a chocolate ripple cake because um, after you forgot to tell us it was your birthday yesterday, so we didn't have anything for you. We didn't, I didn't have a cake for you yesterday because I didn't know. Um, so I thought, oh, I'll make... I'll, at the end of the show, I said to Sarah, I should make bake a cake. Yep. And I said, that's a good idea. I thought that'll give me something to do during the day as well. <laughs> Fill in the empty <laughs> yeah. hours. Yep. And Betty Crocker. <laughs> and uh, give me something to talk about the next day. <laughs> so here we are. Well, there you go. It's a delicious cake. You'll make someone a fine wife. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. All you right. can go down that road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so I um I had grand plans when I was driving home. I was like, oh, I should get the I should be organising, get the ingredients now for a cake. But then it was like, I don't even know if I've got a cake tin. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, and then you said, just get a uh, packet mix. And I was like, no, I don't even I want to do it properly. Yes. But then I, I was appreciate like. appreciate that. I was yeah. like, oh, I don't Seriously, know. Thank you. I think if you was a packet mix kind of guy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't, but I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not even sure if we've got flour and, oh, and the cake. And I was God. like, this is. It's really stressing me out. It's too hard. So I just went straight home to bed. Um, <laughs> at, at this stage, the plans for the cake weren't looking very good. Yeah. And then, but then later I was at the, um, I went, no, nah, no, nah, I can do this. I'll, I'll just I'll bloody make a chocolate ripple cake. It's my favourite type of cake. It's a great who cake. Wouldn't, who wouldn't want to share that love Agreed. with other people? And also I um, uh, put a bit of bit of gin in the cream. Which comes through. It's quite a wallop it's, by look, the taste of it. It's a gin liqueur. I didn't put that much really? in. Really? It's beautiful. Yeah, just a couple it's of It's got a nice capfuls. ginny tang to it. Sure does. Yeah. And um, I put blueberries on top because I know Sarah likes blueberries. Mm, always thinking of everyone else. Yeah. Thank you. And um, I put all the extras in the container so you could eat them. And that Jeff is... actually put them on top of our cake, but that's all right. Oh, did he? Yeah, I felt mm. rude saying she put the extras in there for me. 
Oh. <laughs> also, your then, birthday. Then his, hand, yeah. his hands had grabbed them and I thought I'll just Oh, yeah, just leave them. <laughs> leave them on. Leave them on, I'll Jeff. Eat, I'll eat the blueberry hand and <laughs> blueberries. Um, uh, so, anyway, there's, there's your cake. I'm glad you liked it. Mm, I've got delicious. to say, though, Ed, it's weird, but I have to confess that yesterday when I found out it was your birthday, my immediate reaction was anger. I was angry too. <laughs> we actually conferred over this because I thought it made me a bad person. Yeah, and I know I know it's not right to be angry. <laughs> you had an angry caucus when I was here. Because we found you to be very selfish. <laughs> we know You're not telling us your birthday. Yeah, we know it's your birthday, but there are certain things that happen for others when it's somebody's birthday. Well, I would have got away with it if it wasn't for someone, a listener. Well, yeah, you would have. But thank you to that listener for drawing yes. our attention we to We still don't know how you knew it was Jeff's birthday. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't know how you knew it was his birthday, but thank you anyway. But it's someone being on top of things, maybe keeping things in their diary. Yeah. Uh, so, but it was weird our reaction was saying, it was just because, you know, we get cake. And then later when you went over to get coffee, it was, Sarah said, here, take, take my cake, buy yourself a cake. And I'm the whole time going, oh, I wonder what type of cake he's going to get. Oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> Going to have coffee and cake, and you come back empty, bloody handed. Nothing. I realised there was so much tension oh, in the room there yesterday. Was immense tension. It was your birthday. It was, it's supposed to be about you, but it's about everyone. <laughs> it's actually, Jess, Jess goes, "Is it wrong that the first emotion I felt was anger?" I was like, "No." <laughs> So, yeah, I was thinking, oh, you guys are so nice. <laughs> you kind of creepy and scary. <laughs> so I, made the, I made the cake for everyone. That's for everybody. Poison in the cake. Hey, um, tell us about the time that you got unjustifiably angry. <laughs> oh. uh, I got um, angry this morning, actually. Oh, what for? What about? Well, actually, it wasn't anything that you did. It was... Um, oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm, storing, I'm storing that up. <laughs> That's rising up in me now. No, I, I was preparing the news of a morning, right? And I'm looking for stories to put in it. Mm-hmm. And you see this um, story that's um, on the AAP that's saying, Seal tackles the songs of old blue eyes. So yeah. uh, straight away I'm seeing a seal yes. singing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I'm thinking it's a great story. <laughs> Frank Sinatra. Yes. It's blue eyes singing. Yeah, Frank Sinatra. Yep. Like maybe oh, with a ball great. bouncing on its nose and like flapping its flippers <laughs> Totally. <together. laughs> that would be Big news story. Maybe wearing a little hat. (laughs) I can see why that's in the top of the air. And then I find out it's that singing guy. Seal. Seal, yeah. (laughs) That's not a story. Seal puts out a record. No, that's not a story. That's not a story. That is not a story. I don't know if a a seal clapping along to Frank Sinatra (laughs) is a story. That's a big story. story. That is a news news lead. It is. Come on. on. A seal putting out a record. (laughs) Of Frank, Frank Sinatra, Sinatra I did it my way, clapping, yeah. its, clapping its great flippers together. And How be- would it even do it? <laughs> and because be amazing. And because I didn't have that story, we had to run with that story about the woman who was training her cats like Fagan to steal jewels. Which is from a lie. Her, which wasn't even true. When that actually, the ongoing You've effect of that. You've got to pick a pocket or two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> I was going to say, the one effect was that that made me angry because I knew it wasn't true. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you, the, the anger started and then it flew on. Then you told, did the story. I'm like, why would you include a fake news story? <laughs> I wasn't aware until now. There was so much anger bubbling around inside the studio. <laughs> we need to have a therapy session. <laughs> You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3RRR.